All right, turn in your Bibles to Luke 15 and Zechariah 3. Luke 15 and Zechariah 3. And we are, this is our last message in the series, Welcome Home. Everyone say, not amen. <laughs> say, oh. <laughs> this is our last message here. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. All right. And the title of this message is The Gifts of the Father. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard, how many of you here, just raise your hands, have heard of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I see your hand. All right. How many of you here, and I've told you before, but they're, they're not that well talked about, and sometimes they're not phrased this way, but they actually are. How many of you have heard of the gifts of Jesus? I see your hand. Okay, let me just remind you, the gifts of Jesus are Ephesians 4.11. It says, when he ascended, speaking of Jesus, he himself gave some to be, and when I say them, you'll remember them, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are gifts Jesus gave. Well, I think Luke 15, the parable Jesus tells, gives us an analogy of some gifts that the Father himself gives. So, that's what we want to look at, all right? Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, that means the father was looking for him, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And in the Greek that means kissed him over and over and over again. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now, there are the three gifts of the Father, and we're going to look at what they mean spiritually. But before we do, I just want to recap that the parable of the prodigal son is one in a list of three parables. And I want you to think for a moment about the three parables. There was a shepherd that lost a sheep, had a hundred sheep and lost one. There was a woman that had ten coins and lost one. And there was a father that had two sons and lost one. I want you to notice that in every parable, that which is lost or was lost gets more rare. In other words, it begins with one in a hundred, goes to one in ten, and then one in two. And I want you to remember that the most important part of all three of these parables is what was lost the disparity of the one who lost it, and the joy when that which was lost was found. You have to remember that. That's what Jesus is trying to tell. By the way, obviously the father in the prodigal son parable would represent the father. Jesus said, I'm the great shepherd. So the shepherd could represent Jesus. And I believe the woman could represent the Holy Spirit. And here's why I say that. You have to remember that male and female are in God. I know that God is the Father, but it's hard to understand this. He's not a male. (laughs) Male and female are in God. And when you think about this, many times the Holy Spirit could represent that nurturing aspect of God. The the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. Let me just ask you something. Who, Who did you run to when you got hurt when you were a child? Mom, you didn't run to Dad, right? You go to Dad, Dad says, get over it. I killed a bear with my loose-leaf notebook on the way to school one morning, son. 
when I was walking to school in the snow with no shoes, uphill, both ways. That's the way dads are, but not moms. Mom say, oh, come here, let me hold you. Right? So sometimes I think the Holy Spirit could represent the mothering part of God. So you've got a, a shepherd representing Jesus, this woman who lost a coin. By the way, the, these coins were one day's wage, so she had ten of them. She only had ten days of food left. It's very important that she find that one. A shepherd to lose a sheep, very important for every sheep that he has to find that sheep, and obviously a father to find their children. You know, um, I, uh, I can remember, I don't know if this ever happened to you, I can remember, probably shouldn't admit this, but losing kids growing up, you know, when they're growing up. Any of you ever lose a kid, you know? I, I, and we were in the mall one time, and, and Debbie said to me, I'm leaving Elaine with you. And she did to me kind of like what I told you last week. She said to me, look at me. I'm leaving this child with you. And Elaine's standing right here beside me, and I said to her, I can handle this. Go on. And I turned around, and she was gone. <laughs> just like that. And I just felt that disparity. That's what the Father feels. You understand what I'm saying? That's what these parables are about. These parables are about how the Father felt when he lost his kids. And the joy that he feels when they come home. And then he gives us gifts. So we're going to talk about what these gifts represent, and I formed the questions, the, the points today in, in question form, all right? So here's number one. Are you wearing your robe? Are you wearing your robe? Now, let me read you a scripture before I get to Zechariah 3. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments, plural, of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Notice the word covered as well. The robe represents righteousness. I could give you lots of scripture. Even in Revelations, it talks about the, the righteous, the robes, the righteousness of the saints. Now look at Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah 3 verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand, referring to Joshua, plucked from the fire? And we were all brands plucked from the fire. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Do you remember anywhere in the Bible it talks about filthy rags? What does it say that fil- what, what do we have that's filthy rags? Our righteousness. And I'm saying he gives us his righteousness. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Now watch this carefully, because you've got to relate it to the filthy garments. See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Now, this is something that maybe you've never thought about. We say, yes, our righteousness has filthy rags. Well, what are filthy rags on the side of God? Iniquity. <laughs> the best that I am is still iniquity in His sight. My righteousness, my self-endeavor, ever the best that I can do is still will not measure up to the righteousness or the holiness of God. So, He removes my iniquity. 
And He gives me, He covers me with a robe of righteousness. He gives me His righteousness. Takes away my righteousness, gives me His righteousness. Now you have to understand something here, that God's righteousness is imputed. Now let me tell you what the, the Bible word imputed means. It means it's an accounting term. It means to deposit into your account. God deposited righteousness, Jesus Christ righteousness, into my account. But here's the great thing. He withdrew my iniquity from my account. He took my iniquity out, and by the way, He put my sins in His Son's account. That's why it was not wrong for Jesus to die. Because God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for me. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. God put my sins in His account. And He died because of my sins. But God then took His righteousness and put it in my account. Isn't that good? That's good news. Now, He removes the filthy garments from us. And I'm going to get a little bit graphic here. He doesn't leave us naked. He gives us a robe to wear. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were aware of their nakedness. And shame came in. God not only removes my iniquity, but He covers my shame. (laughs) See, that's what Isaiah 61 says. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And by the way, understanding God's imputed righteousness is the only thing that will defeat shame in your life. Talk yourself into it all you want. But you're going to have to understand that God has covered our nakedness. And by the way, we, I believe that God has imputed righteousness to us. But I also believe we should live righteously. That's, that's our part of the deal. And when, an, when a believer lives unrighteously, it's like running around naked. It brings shame on him and it brings shame on the body of Christ. So God gives us a robe. Now, here's what I'm asking you. Are you wearing your robe? Because you need to understand, you have a choice what you're going to wear in the morning, spiritually. Uh, the Bible says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Um, did you know there is a spirit of heaviness? Anyone here ever been attacked by a spirit of heaviness? Okay, uh, here's what takes care of a spirit of heaviness. A garment of praise. So you have a choice. Now, let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Um, I'm talking now in the natural. How many of you, every morning, before you go out to work or to take children to school or whatever it is that you do when you leave the house, how many of you, again, this is not a trick question, how many of you, before you leave the house, get dressed? Okay, some of you didn't raise your hands. I'd like for you to attend our freedom ministry classes, please. (laughs) So you get dressed in the natural every morning, right? (laughs) Do you get dressed spiritually every morning? You ever left the house naked? Spiritually? Didn't put your robe on? See, we've got to put it on. The Father gave the prodigal a robe. It's up to Him to wear it, Right? So He's given us His righteousness. It's up to us to put it on every morning, to meet with God, to spend time with Him, and to walk out of the house understanding this. All right, so are you wearing your robe? Here's question number two. Are you using your ring? Are you using your ring? Now let me show you a scripture to help you understand what the ring represents. Genesis 41, verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. 
And he clothed him in garments of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Let me tell you what a ring means in, in the Bible. It means authority. When Pharaoh gave Joseph his ring, it means he had authority. But let me explain something to you about authority. It is also imputed. In other words, Joseph did not have authority on his own. He had authority because Pharaoh gave him authority. We don't have authority on our own. We have authority because God gives us that authority. Now, I want you to turn to another scripture, and while you're turning, I'm going to share something else with you. Esther chapter 8. It's very important that you see the scripture. I think you're going to see something that you've never seen in your Bibles before. Esther chapter 8. While you're turning, let me remind you of something that happened with Jesus. In Matthew 21, we're not turning there, but in Matthew 21, the Pharisees asked Jesus, By what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? Because they knew authority was given. Who gave you this authority? And Jesus, I don't know if you remember what he said, but he said, Well, I'll ask you a question. If you answer mine, I'll think about answering yours. He said, John the Baptist, his baptism, was it from heaven or from men? And they said, well, if we say it was from heaven, he's going to say, well, why didn't you get baptized then? Why didn't you receive him? And if we say it was from men, the crowd's going to probably stone us because everybody here loves John the Baptist. So they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, I don't know either then. (laughs) Kind of like that. But then... Most people think the story ends there, but it doesn't. It's the same red letters, keeps right on going, and then he says something. Now, remember their question. Who gave you this authority? Where did this authority you have come from? Let me show you the very next verse after this. I'm just going to show it to you. Matthew 21, verse 28 says, But what do you think? But what do you think? Now, remember they asked, Where did you get this authority? He says, Well, what, what do you think? And then he tells them, A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said, That's right. All right. Listen to me. They said, Where do you get this authority? He said, Well, what do you think? He said, Let me just tell you a little story. Man had two sons and one obeyed. And one didn't obey. Which one did the will of his father? Now listen. Authority comes from doing the will of the Father. That's, that's what Jesus is saying here. Authority comes from obeying God. So you need to understand that even we as believers, if we're going to walk in authority, in other words, when I say, are you using your ring, what I'm saying is, are you under authority? Are you walking in obedience to God? Because if you're not, you lose your authority. That's how you get authority, by staying under authority. Now, Esther chapter 8, this is great, verse 8. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For, watch carefully, whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Now, we're going to read that last line again. Whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring, the signet ring, no one can revoke. Do you remember that 1 Corinthians 10 tells us everything in the Old Testament is written as an example for you? You remember that? What is the spiritual meaning of what we just read? Listen to this. 
everything that's written in the king's name. This is what was written in the king's name. The word of God. Right? This is the written word of God. Everyone agree with that? Okay. And sealed with the king's ring. No one can revoke it. Now, go back to the parable of the prodigal son. Who has the ring? You do. Sons and daughters. You have the ring. Listen to me carefully. Everything that's written in the king's name, the Bible, and sealed with the ring, that's our agreement. No one can revoke it. Are you following me? Listen. Here it is. It's right here. You know what this scripture reminds you know what this reminds me of? Whatever you bind on earth. Whatever you bind. Whatever you put your the ring on. That I wrote. Now you can't put your ring on something he didn't write. You understand that? That doesn't work. You know, red Corvette, red Corvette, red Corvette. No. He didn't write that. You have authority. That just blows me away. Whatever's written in the king's name, this is what was written in the king's name, and sealed with the king's ring, and he gave us the ring. We have the ring. Now, why, why do you need authority? Let me just show you a couple of more verses on this. Luke 9, verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Luke 10, 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. That blows away the doctrine that it was just for the twelve. It wasn't just for the twelve. It's for all disciples. Then verse 17, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you, not just the 12, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, I want to ask you something. Aren't you glad that there aren't any more demons? Oh, there are? There's still demons? And they're not in Africa, too, by the way, all in Africa. They're right here, and they're attacking you, and they're attacking your kids, and they're attacking your family, and they're attacking your marriage, and they're attacking your health, and they're attacking your finances, and they're attacking your time with God, and they're attacking everything that you want to do for the kingdom of God. You want to know why you need authority? Because there are still demons. Behold, I give you the authority. I give you the ring. I give you the authority. Listen to me. Don't let the demons come against your teenagers. Don't let Satan steal your marriage. Don't let Satan come against your business. You understand that if you have a business and you have the potential to put huge resources into the kingdom of God, Satan's going to fight your business. Isn't that just a normal thing to understand? And all of us, together, when we all pool the resources that we have... We can do great things for the kingdom of God. So he's going to find all of our finances. It's just a normal thing. You know, what's great is we read a moment, we, we read a moment ago about where he says to Zechariah, the Lord rebuke you. How would you like for God to rebuke the devil for you? How would you like for God to rebuke the devil in the area of your finances for you? Anyone know where I'm going with this? Malachi says, if you tithe, the Lord will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. 
Just from a business standpoint, that's a good deal. <laughs> it's only 10%. <laughs> it's incredible. we got to do our part. we got to wear the robe. we got to use the ring. And here's the third question I have for you. Are you walking in your shoes? Are you walking in your shoes? Now, first of all, we have to understand what it means to take shoes off so we can understand what it means to put shoes on. Okay? So let me show you what it means to take shoes off. Do you remember the story of Boaz and Ruth? Ruth had a husband. He died. She had no children. In Israel, God provided for there to be an heir, and that was for a brother or a near kinsman relative to marry the widow then and raise up an heir if she didn't have an heir. And so Boaz sees Ruth, falls in love, but he's second in line. So he goes to the, the nearest relative and says, listen, you need to marry Ruth and raise up an heir, and if you don't want to, step aside, because <laughs> I like her. That's in essence what happens. And he said, I, I, don't, I don't want to marry her, you can marry her. But this is what he did. Watch. Ruth 4, 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Okay. This was a confirmation in Israel. A confirmation of what? A confirmation that he was giving up his rights. That he had the right, but he was going to give up his rights. Now, this goes back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 25 is the law where God said the brother shall do it. But the brother might not want to. And uh, so, so uh, he might say, you know, no way. I'm not marrying that woman. Uh, and, of course, then God gives the woman a little bit of revenge. So let me read it to you from the law. Deuteronomy 25, verse 9. Then his brother's wife, if, if he says no, shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, Spit in his face. Got a little revenge there on that. And answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed. Can you imagine going to the DMV to get your driver's license renewed? What's your name, sir? The house of him who had his sandal removed, Jones. <laughs> had your what removed? Sandal. Okay, I'm just going to put down Sandy for short, sir. <laughs> what does it represent, though? It represents that the man had a right, and he was giving up his rights. Hey, what did God tell Moses to do at the burning bush? Take your shoes off. What is he saying to Moses? He's saying, give up your rights. What did, and I'm, I'm, just follow the line of reasoning, and even if you don't know the story, you'll get the answer right. What did the commander of the Lord's army tell Joshua to do when he met him before the battle of Jericho? Take a guess. Take off your shoes. Why? Give up your rights. You're not the commander, Joshua. You want to win this battle? I'm the commander. I'm in charge. See? So... Taking off your shoes meant to give up your rights. By the way, no one here, no one here is saved if you haven't given up your rights. If you're here today and you're still holding on to your rights, you're going to go to hell. Because the way you get saved, you have to give up your rights. You have to die. This is the Bible. This is the Bible. The Bible says that no covenant is in force unless both parties die. Okay, Jesus already died. 
right? You're going to have to die to self to come into this covenant. And, and if you haven't died to self yet, you're just coming to church because your wife drags you, you can die to self today and you have a much better life. Because here's the great thing about God. You give up your rights, and He gives you some. But He doesn't give you your rights. He gives you His rights. He doesn't give you your righteousness. He gives you His righteousness. He doesn't give you your authority. He gives you His authority. He doesn't give you your rights. He gives you His rights. And He gives you the rights of a son and a daughter in the kingdom. And just think in the natural about shoes. Shoes do lots of things. Shoes give you freedom. Uh, in Second Chronicles, the very first thing they did when they captured slaves was they took their shoes off. Because it was a sign, you're a slave. Slaves don't have shoes. That's why the father, when the, when the son came back and said, make me a servant, the father said, no way, you're a son. Gave him some shoes. So shoes give us freedom. Shoes protect us. They give us protection. Isn't it amazing that shoes are part of the armor of God? Listen to Ephesians 6. And we just read a verse where Jesus said, I give you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. You better have your shoes on if you're going to walk on snakes and stinging critters. Right? Shoes do all sorts of things for us. Shoes give us confidence. Just give give a child a new pair of tennis shoes. And what's he going to say? Watch me run, Dad. Watch me jump. But they give us the confidence to walk because that is represents that we are a child of the Father. It gives us that confidence. You know something, just a, a side note here, that I never figured out. My shoes gave my dad confidence in me. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. I want you, you're going you're gonna to laugh. You're going to remember this. Did your father ever ask you to do something just because you had your shoes on? My dad used to say to me, you got your shoes on? Yep. Could you go out and pave the driveway, please? I'd do it, but I don't have my shoes on. Anyone, anyone remember that? Anyone ever, yeah, you were asked to do something because you had your shoes on. Gave him confidence. I was talking to Debbie about this and you know, shoes, protection, freedom, confidence. I was, what do shoes do in the natural? You know what she said? They complete the outfit. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> it's amazing to me how many shoes <laughs> one of the two genders has. And what is amazing to me is also that Their shoe department is five times larger than ours, and they can't find any that fit. It's a scam, ladies. You know, men have one shoe size. Women have about three. If you ask them, they'll tell you the smallest. (laughs) But it depends on which style and which store they buy from. They have different sizes. Men have one size, ten. What size shoe do you wear? Man never says ten, ten and a half. He says ten. I was at I was at Bass Pro. There's a guy with overalls on, and he said to this salesman, he said, "I need these in brown in ten, just like that." So the salesman comes out, gets him, hands in the box. He turns around, and starts to walk out of the store. And the salesman says, "Sir, do you want to try them on?" He turned around, and he said. Are they ten? 
The guy said, yeah. He said, are they brown? He said, yes, sir. He turned around and walked out. Never said another word. <laughs> it's that simple. But shoes do complete the outfit. Read it, Ephesians 6. You need the shield of faith. You need the sword of the Spirit. You need the breastplate of righteousness, that robe, that covering. You need the shoes of the gospel of peace. Shoes are also comfortable. They provide comfort. You know shoes I like? I like house shoes. I like comfortable shoes. You know why I'm bringing that up? You can relax because you're at home. This is what the father was saying to the son. Welcome home. Relax. I'm going to tell you one more thing. Do you remember what the soldiers were gambling for at the cross? Jesus' robe. Jesus was disrobed so we could wear the robe of righteousness. Jesus' shoes were taken off so nails could be driven through his feet so we could walk in freedom. And Jesus had a ring of thorns placed on his head so we could rule and reign in authority with him. So are you wearing your robe? Are you using your ring? And are you walking in your shoes? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.